Today's passage is Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 14. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom, your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when you hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on that day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, You heard the sound of words, but saw no form, and there was only a voice. And he declared to you this covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess." Good morning. If I haven't met you, and even if I have, my name is Quinn Cools, and uh, as you've heard, I'm a pastor in training here at Kingsway, and it is a joy for me to study and preach God's Word, and I pray that today it is your joy to study and receive the preached Word of God, which will be food for your soul. Here's a question. What is amnesia? According to a leading medical center, Amnesia refers to the loss of memories, including facts, information, and experiences. And if you or someone that you love has experienced the loss of brain function due to something like Alzheimer's disease or general dementia and the like, you know a peculiar sadness about living in a broken world tainted by sin. Amnesia specifically can be caused by damage to the area of your brain that processes memory. And there's no specific treatment for amnesia, but if properly identified, treatment can be directed at the underlying cause, amnesia. In a spiritual sense, you and I have a condition. Paul David Tripp helpfully describes it this way. We are gospel amnesiacs. We hear the good news and we forget it. We hear it another time and and we forget it still. We must continually remember, 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 lest we forget the God who created us and who saved us from our sin. This is our condition, spiritual amnesia. Why else does the Apostle Paul remind the Corinthian church? He says, I remind you of the gospel that I preached to you which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. 
In the words of musician Christy Knuckles, we have a continual need to always remember to never forget. And what is it that breaks us out of this spiritual memory fog? It is undoubtedly the word of God, the scriptures. By the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, God spoke through authors like Paul in the first century and Moses more than a thousand years before him to do something profound, to reveal himself through his word. You know, some churches today have traded out a robust expository preaching of the word of God for a TED Talk motivational speech style sermon, right? And, and, and self-help books and podcasts have taken the place of morning devotions day after day after day. Let it not be so with us, friends. There is no substitute for the one thing that can identify and effectively treat the underlying cause of our spiritual amnesia. We need today and every day the word of God to teach, reprove, correct, and train us in righteousness that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. After a month of messages devoted to the first advent of Jesus, as a church, we're returning to our study in Deuteronomy, Moses' retelling of the law. And in this, the fifth book of the Torah, Moses aims to remind the people of God's past faithfulness to them, and he compels them to trust in God's faithfulness in the future, and he continually beckons them to remember, remember, remember Remember to follow the ways of Yahweh, the covenant name of the Lord. And Moses will go on to record instructions about what it looks like to live as one who is set apart, who is holy unto God, a people as they finally reach the land of promise. And we know from chapter three that Moses himself was prohibited from entering the land of promise. And so this is not just a retelling of the law. It is Moses's last exhortation to the people as God's appointed leader. That's pretty significant. Before they cross over the Jordan River, the people listened to God's law preached. Deuteronomy is that sermon. And so Moses here, especially in chapter four, is really where he starts to get his preach on. And so I'm excited to get into this with you, church, because there's no more important topic than this topic to address this year at the outset of the year, regardless of what happens in 2023, whether your, your year is marked with the hardest things or the happiest things, you need this message from Moses because it will guide your heart and it will refresh your affections and it will anchor your soul. Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 14 teaches us a central message that the word of God reveals the path of life. By revealing our gracious God. And my prayer is that your year begins with this fresh amazement at God's glorious plan for your life to know and be known by your gracious God. My sermon today will be structured under two main points starting in verses 1 through 8, and then concluding in verses 9 through 14. And if you haven't already, I would ask that you open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and study this text with us this morning. I hope I've made it clear that here at Kingsway, this is not the time for the inspirational speech. This is a time for us to be addressed by God through his word. We have the privilege of looking at these translated words in our own language, even as we hear them spoken aloud. So let's be faithful to participate, all of us, this morning in the preaching. And of course, if you didn't bring a physical Bible, feel free to open up a Bible app on your phone. This will be food for your soul. In fact, that's what this first point is all about. Point number one, the word reveals the path of life. You know, how does does Moses refer to the scriptures? Look Look at verse one. And now, O Israel, listen to the the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you. He calls these teachings the laws or the just decrees. 
Or as the English Standard Translation translates these words, the statutes and the rules. And I wonder how that lands with you. Are you less comfortable when Moses all but calls this a book of rules, of the law? Are, are, we, are we more comfortable calling the Bible a, a compilation of stories than law or rules? It seems like there's something in our psyche that maybe pushes against the concept of those rules, right? There, there's, a, there's a point when, when rules limit us that we, we say no, we push against that. We say we don't like that, right? Like we're, we're okay if, if there's rules for a, a traffic intersection that keeps, keeps us from having a head-on collision. Sure, we, we like those rules. Those are good rules. But, but when I'm on a highway and the speed limit's here and I want to go here, like I don't really have to adhere to those rules, right? We push against those. So listen, we're going to be in Deuteronomy for a little while. So if we're going to receive all that the Lord has for us in this long study in Deuteronomy, we need to wrestle with this fundamental fact. The Bible is not a book of suggestions. What is the Bible about? It's about the rule of a gracious God and a rebellion against that rule and a God by his grace and mercy who turns rebels into his children. Right? John Piper says it right. If you're a Christian, you are not your own. Christ has bought you at the price of his death. You now belong doubly to God. He made you and he bought you. That means your life is not your own. So the Bible is not a book of suggestions. The Bible instead teaches us to reject our sinful self-rule and it compels us to trust and obey our gracious God. Thus, as we study this week in and week out this year at Kingsway, do not, do not check out and assume, oh, you know, this is just Old Testament. You know, wait till we get to Jesus in the New Testament. You know, Old Testament, God, New Testament, God. God, God of hate, God of love. No, the, the word made flesh that we just celebrated at Christmas is the pre-existent, eternally pre-existent one. He, he is the same God in Deuteronomy, right? Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. And this God of mercy and grace, the king to whom you doubly belong, has given us just decrees. And so Moses says, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them. You know, the context of Moses' sermon falls at a particular point in redemptive history. And, and I'll be the first to admit that we live at a different point in redemptive history. And faithful preaching will, will tie a cord between the two and identify what it looks like to obey God's word in our context today. So here's the principle, to listen, to truly listen, is to obey. You know, if my children are not paying attention to their mom, my wife will seriously, and I think quite humorously, tell them to turn their ears on. And just yesterday this happened, you know, that they're not paying attention, and she says, turn your ears on, and, and they literally have this thing where they turn their ears on, right? It's, it's not as if the, the, the sound waves are not getting into their little ear canals, right? That's, that's not what ha what's happening. It's that they are ignorantly or perhaps rebelliously failing to respond. And this is why Moses is saying, listen and do. Listen and do. God means to affect us through his word. So the question that we will come to to face again and again and again as we study Deuteronomy is this. How will we respond? As we are confronted by the Bible's assault on our self-rule, how will we respond? Will we listen and will we do as the Lord teaches? Right now would be probably the perfect time to address our motivation for this because it might feel a little uneasy in here. And as a good pastor, that's exactly what Moses does, actually. 
It's, it's right here in this, in this verse that we uncover the phrase that I've chosen as the title for this message, the main theme that I see here in this text. Here it is. That you may live. Why should we listen to the Lord as he directs and guides? That you may live. And you might be asking yourself, well, what does that mean? You know, I'm alive, <laughs> aren't I? Yes, you are. Uh, There's a wonderful quote uh, that's attributed to a fictional depiction of William Wallace that directly speaks to this idea. He says, every man dies, not every man truly lives. Or in the words of Jesus, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What is this life you're talking about, Jesus? Jesus says, this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what does it mean to live? To live is to know and be known by your God. To live is to experience your soul's resurrection from the dead. To live is to have your heart's affections fanned into a flame by the love of God. To live is to fear the Lord and to love the Lord and to trust and obey the Lord Therefore, Moses says, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live. And he says, go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. And you notice what is inseparably linked, connected to Israel's response to God's word. Obedience to God's word leads Israel into the path of blessing as seen in the fulfillment of God's promise to give them a land. This was his promise to Abraham generations before. And now they will no longer be desert wanderers. God is preparing a place for them. They will have a home. Do you hear the echo? God too, Christian, is preparing a place for you. You will not be a wanderer on this earth. You will have a home. So ask yourself this morning, are you listening to and obeying God's word that you may live? Are you following the path of blessing and walking on this path of life? Let's let's peer into the depths of this word here in verse 2 as God reveals the path of life. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. When I worked at a grocery store 10 or 12 years ago in Oregon, I had a coworker <clears throat> who refused to highlight or write notes in the margins of his Bible because he felt like it would be adding to the word of God. And while that might be a little bit too literal of an interpretation of this, uh, what is the conviction behind that sentiment? It's that God's word is holy and should be revered above every other word that we hear. Right? So, so consider the ways that we might add to the word. It, it might come in the form of phrases like this. God never gives you more than you can handle. It's not biblical. He does. <laughs> uh, and he does so so that we might depend on him. Right? Or, or something like, God helps those who help themselves. Which is so anti-Christian. No, we submit to the rule of a gracious God. We do not proclaim our own self-rule, okay? Uh, or maybe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wait, wait, Quinn, that, that, that's biblical, right? It's almost always taken out of context and misapplied. Rather, what that passage means is that we learn contentment when we realize that we have all that we need in Christ, <laughs> right? And so we must not add to the word. We must not elevate our point of view. And we also must not take from the word. Think about the ways that we might take from the word. When God says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What do we think? Well, well, there's no passage that directly addresses this word or phrase or joke. 
And besides, we're under grace. Hmm. Or, Or when God says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And and we think, well, I'm just admiring God's creation, the beauty of his creation. And and this definitely is not on the same level as adultery. And no one even uses that word anymore. So what are we even talking about? You know, or when God says, do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. And our response is, well, life's really busy right now. In our own self-deception, we functionally add to and take away from the word of God. We elevate our opinion and the voices of our preferred personalities on a screen or on a stage. And as we elevate these opinions, we reduce the law of God to a book of suggestions and easily explain away that which threatens our self-rule. But Deuteronomy 4 verse 2 won't have it. It confronts us. There's one voice that we need. There's one voice that you need to hear above every news anchor and social media influencer and teacher and friend and politician and pastor. You need the word. The word reveals the path of life. Your spouse cannot do that. A romantic relationship cannot do that. A politician could promise that, but they definitely could not fulfill that. And the word itself is what can do that. And it is authoritative over all other authority, right? So what should our relationship be to the word of God as Christians? We gladly accept and affirm the gracious rule through his word, right? We submit, we we come under it. In our marriage and our dating relationships, we submit to the word. In our career changes or in our family planning, we submit to the word. In our entertainment choices, we submit to the word, or, or we should, right? That, that is what is to define the people of God. We need to make a habit of going to the book. We are a people of the book. Do you remember what the word does? It, it It reveals the path of life, right? Point one. You know, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he teaches about this. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to where? Destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. No clearer is this scene in our passage today than in verses three and four. Look there. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. Baal Peor was a place associated with the idol of Moab, when the Israelites were tempted in the desert. We find the narrative in Numbers 25, and I'll just read a few verses that tells the tragedy of this generation's covenant failure. Starting at verse 1, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. And these invited the people to sacrifice to their gods, and, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. The story goes on to tell about a man named Zimri who did this very thing with a Midianite woman. According to one commentary, it was an act of ritual intercourse that yoked this Israelite man to the pagan God and so broke the covenant with the God of Israel. And Numbers 25 verse 9 tells us what happened then. There was a plague. God destroyed these covenant breakers. It says that those who died by the plague were 24,000. Do you think our response to the word of God has any real life consequences? You bet it does. It reveals the path of life, but it also warns of the path of destruction. 
that leads to death, right? Consider the word that was given to Adam in the garden, right? You can have the fruit of any of these trees, but of this one tree, don't eat of it, for on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We know what happened. And consider the rebellion story of Baal Peor, where 24,000 died. What, what is this supposed to do? This is supposed to stir our hearts to consider for ourselves Consider your lives, brothers and sisters, the word that has been given. Consider Hebrews 3, for example. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share Christ, if indeed we hold to the original confidence, firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who, who heard and yet rebelled? The Hebrews author says, what is it? Not that those who left, was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? They died. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Do you see what happens as a consequence with how we respond to the word of God. Verse four shows us the path away from this path of destruction, the path of life, the, the narrow road. Verse four, look there. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. Hold fast to the Lord your God and you will live, Moses says. Moses tells us that we have been given all that we, all that we need. Look at the next verse in verse five. See that I have taught you these statutes and rules as the Lord, my God has commanded that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Have you ever wondered, you know, what, what is God's will for my life? You know, I'm, I'm in my thirties, but kind of anybody younger than me, probably, you know, age 15 on, you know, is really wrestling with these big questions. Like, what is God's will for my life, right? To marry this person or that, or to take this job or that one. You know, maybe you had a good plan for something, a big plan, and, and it just didn't work out, right? You hoped to marry a particular person, and in the end, they rejected you. Or, or you wanted to stay with a particular company for a long time, and one day they just let you go, or you expect a healthy baby and one day you're given the news that there's no longer a heartbeat. What does God's word say to us when we experience our plans falling short of what we think is the good life? What does God's word say to us? Well, Proverbs 16.1 says the plans of the heart belong to man. So we make those plans, right? But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And so we cry out, God, what is that answer from your tongue? What are you going to say when my plans are failing? And don't miss this. Don't, don't miss this. God's will is not thwarted when your plans fail. And he is not silent. He speaks. God speaks. Proverbs 3 is an excellent guide for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and, and turn away from evil and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Isn't that how God works? In his deep mercy and sometimes in a bitter providence, he exposes our heart's deepest affections. And if in the shadowy valley we turn to him, we find a gentle and lowly shepherd who is eager to satisfy our souls. Our plans fall short. And as Paul David Tripp describes it, God's form-fitted grace for your life meets you right here, right now. Do you believe that? Do you believe that today? Do you believe that on January 1st, 2023, that God's form-fitted grace 
through his word, is ready to meet you. That God is waiting for you in 2023. God's grace is prepared to meet you. No matter what happens, he is not silent. Open your Bible and see what he reveals. The path of life. And this good path is not just for us. That's what verses 6 through 8 talk about. It's for the world too. Look there. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and the understanding in the sight of the peoples. Wisdom and understanding. Do you want to be wise? I've already quoted a few Proverbs, but I was kind of immersed in it this week. Proverbs 9 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So those who fear the Lord follow the Lord. And if we say that we are following the Lord, then, then surely we will listen and do as he directs and guides. By following this path of life that God reveals in his word, we become wise and people start to see that, right? Therefore, Moses says, keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. You know, Israel had something that every other tribe and nation of that time lacked. Do you know what it was? You know, those pagan peoples would construct carved images of wood and stone to represent their gods, gods of their own imagination, literally gods of their own making. What about Israel? Instead of imagining a God, imagining something, they received something. And what they received was not a carved image, but words, words that were then set in stone. They were given the law of God to direct and guide their steps. And it's here in verses six through eight that we hear the echoes of Genesis 12. When, when God tells Abraham through you, through your offspring, all the, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we hear that echo all the way through to Matthew 28, when Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? This is where redemption goes global. And we have here that the neighboring peoples of ancient Mesopotamia they could see that Israel was different. And if you're a Christian, people should see your life and see that you are different. Right? We have this treasure, as Paul says, in jars of clay. So that we might receive glory for, for our wisdom, for our understanding? No. So that God might receive the glory that the world would see that he is the one true God, that they might also come to know him. Look at verse seven. For what great nation is there, the people will say, that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you today? This speaks of divine revelation, of self-disclosure. Natural theology, that is the study of, of God from that which can, can be understood just through our experience and through observed facts, cannot save. One cannot reach outside of our limited time and space and experience and fathom the divine. We cannot understand the depth of our offense against God. We cannot know the depths of God's love for us by sending his son to save us. If we are to know God, he has to do something. He has to initiate. He has to reveal himself. And he has. And he's near to us. He's Yahweh, the great I am. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is eager to show mercy and grace to his people. He loves his people. He reveals the goodwill for your life and for the world with the statutes and rules that he sets before the people. And this is what Moses spends the rest of our passage unfolding. So let's look deeper into this next point. Point number one was the word reveals the path of life. Here's point number two. The word reveals our gracious God. 
Verse 9. Only take care. Keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget these things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. I told you Moses was going to get his preach on here in chapter 4. And this is, this is where you, you hear it. You hear this earnestness in his voice, perhaps. In these two imperatives, take care and keep your soul diligently. And also, make these things known to your children. We have two primary responsibilities here, so let's take them one at a time. Answer this question for yourself. What would taking care to diligently keep your soul look like? I'll wait. Here's a hint. It has everything to do with our relationship to the word of God. In your personal life, And in your shared life with the local church, what is your relationship to the word? As we read it and hear it and study it and pray it and sing it and talk about it, the word of God directs and guides your life. It guides us on the path of life and it helps us walk closely with God. And without it, it's as if you're you're driving a car that, that's gas gauges on empty and you're moving headlong in the wrong direction and into the eye of a storm. That's what it's like if you do not heed these words. I, I look at 1 Timothy 4 for guidance here where Paul instructs us, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Why? Why do we gather with the people of God as a church centered around the word of God? Well, Moses gives us the answer right here. He says, lest you forget. Lest you forget all the things that your eyes have seen and lest these things depart from your heart all the days of your life. Lest you forget the faithfulness of your God. Lest your heart grow cold toward God. In your brightest days, The word will be your compass and the wind in your sails. And in your darkest days, it will be a ballast amid the waves and an anchor amid the storm. And this word isn't just for you. It's for your family. Moses says that we are to make things, these things known to your children and to your children's children. So, so think about this. Think about how many generations are present here. We have old man Moses, if I can say that, um, who, you know, so he's one person. And he's telling a generation of people, his first hearers, to teach their children and their children's children. That, that's four generations of disciple making. Capture this vision, this dream, Right? Maybe your parents failed to train you in a gospel-centered home full of grace-saturated conversations about the path of life. But capture this dream. As you keep your soul diligently, you have the opportunity, even the responsibility, to disciple the next generation, starting with your own children, if you have them. And if this is building a new category for you, allow me to share what this might look like, right? Discipleship starts at home as you model what centering your life on the word looks like, right? So it's going to look like reading your Bible and having a regular devotion or or it's going to be initiating conversations with your spouse and kids about what you're learning or or facilitating a time of, of family devotions where being addressed by God and responding to God is a part of the regular habit of your household. And if you've already been doing this, maybe for decades, and particularly if, you, if you're doing this as a single parent or without the support of your spouse, I commend you in the Lord. Is there any work that is greater, that is more important than discipling your own children, showing them the path of life? Keep pressing on, parents. And one more application for us. If you have been blessed to be raised in 
a home where the life-giving word was treasured and where you were discipled from a young age, consider taking the time to thank the parent or family member that modeled that for you, that invested that treasure in your life. That was a very good work. I said that discipling the next generation begins at home, and it does, but it extends beyond the home, right? It extends down that hallway where Sunday after Sunday we, we have teachers and assistants that are bringing the word of God to bear in the lives of children. And, and, and in the seminar room and in a couple other rooms around the church on Wednesday nights, we gather as frontline to come alongside parents of middle and high school students to, to see the word of God elevated and magnified and see Christ magnified in their lives, right? And, and even if you don't have children at home and, and you don't, you're not a part of one of these next generation ministries with our church, listen, you can still fulfill this teaching by something as simple as meeting with a young adult over coffee or, or inviting a young couple into your home and sharing conversation with them because God's word wants to meet them and he can use you. Let's be faithful stewards to proclaim what the Lord has done through his word. That's what Moses does here in verses 10 through 12. He's been saying, don't forget these things and teach these things. And we might've already forgot what, what are these things that he's talking about? Well, he explains that for us. Look at verse 10. These things, how on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words and so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Here we rewind 40 years. The people have been freed from, from slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the sea and the Egyptian military has been swallowed up and they're gathered at the foot of a mountain called Horeb or Sinai. And what does God say? Consider what this reveals about God. The Lord said to me, gather the people to me. Do you hear how personal that is? Like a, like a mother bird with her wings over her chicks, gather the people to me. Why does God gather the people? that I may let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children so. That is grace. That is the grace of divine revelation and self-disclosure. It's the gathering work, by the way, that God still does today. Sunday after Sunday, as the people of God are gathered around his word, submitted to his gracious rule. God gathers us so that by his word, we can continually learn the path of life and we can respond to the word in trust and obedience and train our children in the path of life. Consider the glory of this moment. This is, this is an actual thing that happened. This historical moment. Look at verse 11. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Sounds like it's out of a play or a movie, right? Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. Moses describes here what it's like to live in a broken world. If you've lived long enough to see it, a life wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. For my family, here's what that has looked like. In 2020, we lost our sweet baby Phoebe at 29 weeks and two days along in Kelsey's pregnancy. A year later, almost to the day, we lost another baby who didn't even make it that many weeks. We named her Piper. And right now, our precious cousin and her family are facing the possibility that cancer could take her any day. Have you been there? Do you carry the weight of those kinds of things with you? If you've lived long enough, I know that you do. And in the midst 
of where you might be, where you've been, and unfortunately living in this broken world, where we will be finding ourselves again in the future. We find ourselves in, in, in life wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. But for Christians, there's something different about us. We stand at the foot of the mountain. And the mountain burns with fire. Burning with fire to the heart of heaven. And then we hear boom. As of thunder, as we hear the voice of our God. Because God is not silent in our darkness. He speaks. And as God spoke then, so God speaks now through his word. His voice is still heard. You heard the sound of words, Moses said. But saw no form. There was only a voice. Yes, God is invisible. But he is knowable. He's personal. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. And he speaks. He speaks to those who would come and stand at the foot of the mountain. And that's what we do every time, day after day, we open our Bible. And week after week, as we sing and pray and participate in receiving the preached word of God, God speaks. This is most clearly seen in redemptive history and in our lives when the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. Well, we've just celebrated the first advent. You see, in verse 13, God declares his oath-bound promise to his people and says that he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the 10 words, the 10 commandments that he wrote on two tablets of stone. If you know anything about the human condition, if you know anything about the stories of the Bible and the stories of history, they all scream and shout one thing. No human has ever been faithful to this covenant. We have hated and so murdered. We have lusted and so committed adultery. We are not righteous. No one is righteous. You are not righteous. But just as hope is born on the first day of a new year, so hope was born in Bethlehem. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. The son of God followed the law perfectly as he walked the earth Christ was perfectly righteous and his righteousness was for us. We who are in Christ have been clothed by the covenant-keeping righteousness of Christ. Indeed, Christ is himself to us wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 1, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The grace of God has been lavished on you, friends. His word reveals a gracious God who's willing to die on your behalf that you may live. We've been given the word. We've been given the word made flesh. But don't forget that we are forgetful, right? We have a condition, spiritual amnesia. And there's simply no substitute for the one thing that can identify and treat this deadly cause of our condition. Today and every day, we need the word. We need the perfect, infallible, and all-sufficient word of God. We need to pick up our Bible. I need my Bible. In 2023, you need your Bible. Let's pick it up. Let, let's, let's read it. Let's, let's study it. Let's pray it. Let's sing it. Let's talk about it with more joy this year than we ever have before. When you're wrestling with a, with a hard decision this year or navigating a difficult conflict in your family, remember that the word is sufficient. Go to the book. 
And, and when you're feeling drained this year, maybe you're working overtime, maybe multiple jobs, maybe you're a mom of young children, which feels like a thousand jobs, right? Remember, the word is sufficient. Go to the book. And when you're at odds with your boss or a friend hurts you or you get some terrible news, remember that the word is sufficient and go to the book. What should you do? Gather at the mountain. Gather at the foot of the mountain. Moses concludes the last verse of this passage in the same way that he began. And the Lord commanded me at that time, to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. To listen is to do. If it's really true that God's word reveals the path of life, then we must listen and do. Remember that Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. So let's remember lest lest we forget that the word of God reveals the path of life by revealing our gracious God. There's no greater question in 2023 than this. What is your relationship to the word? What is your posture toward the word? How will you respond to the word of life? As the band comes back up, I'll conclude this sermon by reading a few verses that are a meditation on the word of God from Psalm 119. Starting at verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. And I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I have kept your precepts, and I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to the taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Let this be the meditation of our heart this year in 2023. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path.